Greetings, I'm Jessica Schmidt, Director of Investment Communications here at Diamond Hill, and this is Understanding Edge. Today, I'm joined on the podcast by Douglas Gimble, Senior Portfolio Specialist for our fixed income team here at Diamond Hill. Given the challenging market environment for fixed income this year, we've asked Doug to join us again to share some insights from the latest Federal Reserve meeting and what's happening in fixed income markets. As always, stay safe, stay healthy, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Douglas Gimple. Hi, Doug. Welcome back to the podcast. As always, it's great to have you with us. Thanks. It's uh, it's great to be back. So today we're going to do a, a quick review of the Fed's most recent meeting, which took place the week of the first week of November. And then we'll get into other areas of the fixed income markets. So to kick us off, Doug, aside from the 75 basis point increase in the federal funds rate, which was widely expected, what was the overall tone of the Federal Reserve meeting? And were there any important takeaways for investors? Yeah, you know, I think it's I think the whole thing was important, whether it was their statement, which changed a little bit uh, or more importantly, maybe um, the actual press conference which is what everybody looks for, uh, because that's where you can get some kind of understanding of what we should expect in the future, because we didn't have any kind of statement. We didn't have the dot plot, so we didn't have a way to see if things had changed in, in how they're thinking about the terminal rate. Um, but what I took away from it was their continued commitment to fighting inflation, and um, but also providing some understanding uh, for us on the fact that that they get that it's not going to happen immediately. You know, raising rates isn't going to immediately impact inflation. And, and so they added language about the cumulative impact of the rate hikes that they've been going through. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the action was, was hawkish. The statement started dovish, ended hawkish. Um, the idea that, you know, we've got two more, or three more critical pieces of economic data between now uh, just shortly after the last FOMC meeting, to the next one. And, you know, we've got uh, inflation twice. We've got another jobs report uh, before we have this next meeting of the Fed in December. Uh, and so that's going to help them kind of steer what direction they're going to go. You know, right now, a 50 basis point increase is essentially priced in. And there's about a 25% chance, according to Fed Fund Futures, uh, and how the market is pricing it, a 25% chance of a 75 basis point hike. So I think we're, we're getting closer to the end, uh, though, with the caveat that anything can happen in the next couple of weeks, um, we could still see inflation running very hot. Uh, we can see unemployment uh, remaining low at, I think, last report was 3.7%. So uh, what Powell did was, was provide some insight into how they're thinking about it, but also kind of laying down the law that you know, the markets can talk about, talking heads can throw out the idea of a pause or a pivot. They're not there. And it was pretty apparent that they're not there and they won't be there until the Fed is comfortable. And so 50 basis points pretty much priced in. Um, and then from there, maybe another 50 basis points, although it's looking more like 25, but we're looking at anywhere from 75 to 100 basis points more. Um, and most notably, uh, the terminal rate increased. So where the market feels they're going to end based on the comments coming from Powell, you know, we had been looking at, I think it was four and a half percent terminal rate at the end of September. 
to maybe four and three quarters, a little bit more at the end of October. Uh, and today, which is November 8th, you know, we're looking at, you know, 5.1, 5.13-ish type level for the terminal rate. So that continues to climb, showing that the market thinks that the Fed's got a little bit more work to do. Okay, so that's a helpful backdrop, um, especially your comments about maybe getting closer to the end. Um, and each month in your fixed income commentary, you address fixed income markets. And this month, Doug, you posed the question, how will markets handle a return to some kind of normalcy in rates? So again, kind of getting to the end. Certainly that's a question that we would all love an answer to. Um, and you outlined two ways in which this occurred. One, slowly, if rates were to have moved gradually, meaning the income portion of fixed income has the ability to offset the impacts to principal, or quickly when rates rise very fast and price depreciation accelerates faster than income. We're clearly in the latter scenario. And as a part of your update this month, you spent a lot of time looking at some historical data in an effort to theorize what might happen in the coming months. So tell us a little bit about that analysis and some of the key takeaways from it. Yeah, uh, you know, I've been calling this kind of a, a semi-reset in rates. And, and what do I mean by that? Well, it's it's getting from uh, zero interest rate policy, which we've been kind of bouncing around. You know, we've gone up a little bit at times, but since the financial crisis, um, and getting from that level or those levels to where we are right now. And, and as you said, and as I, as I put into the commentary, you can do it slowly. And we've got a couple examples of that, of that, and we've can do it quickly. And we've got a couple examples of that. Now, what we're going through right now is, is really unprecedented. And I'll, I'll get to that as well. But from the slow standpoint, you know, we look at 2004 to 2006, the Fed raised rates by 425 basis points, but they took, you know, three years to do that. So it was very gradual, very drawn out. And what happens with that and what you were alluding to is that, yes, interest rates go higher, you have duration, you're going to feel some pain. But is it drawn out over a long enough period of time that your income will help to offset that? And that's exactly what we saw in the, in the slower scenarios that we put out there. You know, For example, 2015 to 2018 annualized return on the Bloomberg US aggregate bond index was 2.14% break that down between the price return, which was negative 80 basis points, and the coupon return, which was a positive 2.94%. So yes, you lost money from a pricing standpoint, but you more than made up for it with your coupon. So that's when it's slower and the market can adjust and it's very clearly communicated. Uh, and then you get to the, the quicker scenarios. Uh, and that's looking at, you know, from February of 94 to February of 95. The Fed raised 300 basis points, so very, very quickly. Uh, and then from March of 88 to February of 89, so less than a year, 325 basis points. And then you see what we've seen this year. So really from March, I think it was March 16th to, and I'm going to cheat a little bit. I know we're talking about October commentary, but let's carry it through to November 4th. Mm -hmm. So that's about nine months. We've seen 375 basis points of increase. So a very rapid rise. And what that means is that your price return is going to hurt a lot more uh, in your coupon. And especially where we are right now, your coupon is nowhere near enough to offset that. So if we look at the 94-95 scenario, uh, the price return was negative 9.08%. Uh, your coupon 
and this is going to be hard for some people to believe in the environment that we're in right now, your coupon was over seven and a half percent. So your loss was, you know, you were down about a percent and a half, but you made up quite a bit of what you had lost on the pricing side. If we look at it this year, and this is through October, the, the index was down 10.8%. Uh, the price return, negative 12.4%. The coupon, again, the environment that we've been in, 1.6%. So nowhere near enough to make up for that. Uh, and so that's the, the difference. You know, what we were talking about, the slower environment where you can earn, you know, some of that price loss back to what we see with the quicker environment. And, you know, this, what we're in right now is kind of the extreme of what we could possibly feel. We've never seen the Fed move this quickly, this much, uh, and coming off of a level where we weren't earning anything. Um, but what that means is that now, you know, as we get closer, if we're in like the, call it the seventh or eighth inning of a nine inning game, hopefully, uh, we're getting closer to that, that terminal rate where the Fed's gonna eventually pause. Uh, then we're in a position where fixed income is actually providing income. You know, the, the ag index is, you know, yielding north of 5%. Uh, and so you'll be able to get some income if we, if we theorize, uh, and there's a lot of caveats, but if we theorize that rates are gonna stabilize once we get to that terminal rate, then you're gonna have this opportunity for your fixed income to generate fixed income. So you get through the pain and the challenge that was 2022, uh, and you're going to be able to get forward into 23, into 24, where you're going to see some, some of that yield, some of that advantage um, if we see rates somewhat stabilize. Uh, and you're going to have ups and downs, and that's always going to happen. Uh, but we're at least now in a position where we're actually getting some yield from our fixed income portfolio. So that's very different than what we've been in previously, but it's taken you know, some pain and, and quite a bit of challenge to get there. And that's really what 2022 has been, was been this, again, as I said at the beginning, this kind of mini rate reset to where we're getting to a point where people are looking at fixed income and thinking, okay, you know, that, that seems pretty attractive now. It's something I want to look at. So it sounds like perhaps there's some light at the end of the tunnel for fixed income investors, Doug. Don't uh, quote me on that, but it is, it is possible. Uh, and, and again, as I was saying, now you've got some yield. Now you've got some, some coupon, if you will, to mitigate some of the pricing, um, pricing changes that we may see in the future. Okay. So let's dive into a couple of different segments of the fixed income market. Uh, you included a quick overview of the investment grade corporate market in your commentary. Um, can you share your thoughts on that particular market and how it's, it's behaving in the current environment? Yeah, um, you know, we've talked broadly about the fixed income markets and I've, I've written about it ad nauseum about how bad this year has been. And it's only, you know, continued to get worse uh, after kind of a respite in, in July and then August and September were really painful and in October as well. Um, but for the corporate index, and I'm speaking specifically the investment grade corporate index, uh, it's been incredibly painful. So, you know, through October, uh, that index is down almost 20%. And so a, a very um, dramatic and painful uh, situation. The ag is down, you know, right around 16%. And so the reason being is that as we were moving into 2020 and COVID hit and lockdowns, and we all remember everything that was going on, but rates came down, the Fed was out supporting the corporate market, 
uh, alluding to the purchase of corporate debt and high yield ETFs and all these things to support that market. And corporations, rightly and intelligently, went out and issued uh, a lot of long dated securities with very low coupons. So secured some very reasonable and cheap financing. And, and we see that when we look at the numbers. In 2019, the average maturity of issuance in that year was 11.8 years. In 2020, it was 12.6 years. In 2021, it was 11 years. And then this year, it's been about 9.1 years. So what you had was longer duration in investment grade credit going into this year as rates took off. So that longer duration was incredibly detrimental to the corporate market. And you think about you know AAA, and it's a very small part of the corporate market. That's been hit the hardest because higher quality companies had issued longer debt. And so that impact from interest rates rising is really, really exacerbated within the corporate market. And that's where we've seen you know, all of this pain uh, because they were longer duration, because there was more triple B than historically there had been. So from a credit standpoint, from an interest rate standpoint, it's been a, a very tough mixture into 2022. And that's why we've seen so much pain there. But again, now you're seeing that there's going to be some opportunity. But for investors in the fixed income market, it's going to be hard to swallow that the corporate index, the investment grade corporate index is doing worse uh, than the S&P 500. You know, the S&P 500 down, you know, through uh, through October, I think down around 17% or so. And, and so, you know, 200 basis points more loss in investment grade credit. Uh, but again, I, it goes back to, you know, what we were talking about, a reset that we've got to get there. And we've got to feel this pain to get to a more kind of what I would call normalized environment. Okay, let's switch gears to another area of the market, Doug. As rates rise, how do you view the commercial mortgage-backed securities market? And do you have any concerns about its viability in today's environment? Yeah, that's, a, that's an area that we've continually looked at. And it's an area where we found quite a bit of opportunity really uh, coming out. I don't want to say coming out of COVID because it's still floating around, but coming out of 2020 into 2021. Other sectors had recovered. CMBS, uh, commercial mortgages had not recovered as much. Um, so it was an area where we found opportunity. Uh, we continue to find opportunity. But to your point, Jess, rising rates uh, are going to hurt this, this market. But, you know, we've seen serious delinquencies, serious delinquency rates, so foreclosures, have actually been coming down since COVID emerged. Now, the rate at which those delinquencies are going down is slowing. So we're still seeing them, but not as, not at, uh, not as strong, uh, I should say. You know, it's, it's, it's getting a little bit worse, but it's still not as bad as it had been, if that makes sense. Um, but the ability to diversify within CMBS, specifically non-agency commercial mortgages, uh, is key. Uh, there are areas that will continue to create concern, not just because we may be headed to a recession, we do have rising rates, but something like office. Uh, office space, you know, I can tell you that I'm in the office today, but attendance is much lower than what it was pre-COVID, and that's going to continue. Uh, there are some places of work where you don't have to go to the office. You know, we're looking at, you know, maybe 60% expected time in the office. So does that change our footprint of, you know, square feet that we have? 
Uh, and so that's something that we keep an eye on. That's an area that we don't like as much. So, you know, outside of rising rates and recession, there's the, the component of the, the dynamics of the work environment and shifting to more work from home than being in the office. But, you know, counter to that, you've got the growth in warehousing as Amazon continues to take over the world and wants to build more and more facilities where they can get it to you same day. Um, that continues, and that is a growing part of, of CMBS. Uh, multifamily, uh, that, I mean, if you drive around where I am, Columbus, Ohio, you see new apartment buildings going up all the time. So there are concerns, as there are, always will be if we are headed into a recession or we're in the midst of a recession, but there are ways to mitigate that um, by understanding what you own, by doing the due diligence, by looking at the remittance reports that come out every month so you can see are we starting to see some more cracks? Are we starting to see some areas of concern in these different areas of CMBS? So uh, yes, there are concerns as much as there are concerns about other parts of the economy with regards to rising rates and the potential recession. Uh, but being able to manage that and mitigate that risk is what's most important for us because you know, there's not a, a bad bond, there's just bad bond pricing. Uh, because if I'm getting paid enough to take on the risk, then I'm going to be able to do that. And it's going to be, you know, it's going to meet my needs of risk reward. Uh, but, you know, for us, it's an area that we look at very closely. It's something that we monitor when the remittance reports come in from, you know, the 15th to between the 15th and the 25th of each month, because we want to keep an eye on it. We want to see if we're starting to see cracks. But uh, I think that if you have the right approach, you can definitely find the right opportunities but as with anything right now, you've got to be a little bit more cautious. You have to really examine the underwriting uh, to make sure that, that you're getting what you expect uh, from a risk standpoint. Great. That's actually a good transition talking about approach, Doug. You're part of the fixed income team here at Diamond Hill, and the team manages a core bond strategy and a short duration securitized bond strategy. How have they managed in this challenging environment? Yeah. Yeah, a uh, challenging environment without a doubt. Um, you know, when the index is down double digits, um, you know, the worst performance that we've ever seen for a calendar year, for a rolling 10-month time frame, however you want to look at it, um, our job, we have always viewed it, is to mitigate that damage. We want to uh, hold up better in down markets and capture as much of uh, our fair share in, in, rising, in rising markets and in, in well-performing markets. And so we've been able to do that. Um, you know, we've mitigated some of that, some of that damage. I think we're, uh, I know we're ahead of the benchmark. I don't have the exact number, but I'm sure we can provide that. Um, but it's being able to limit that through a variety of different things. One duration management. We've been, you know, about 90% of the benchmarks duration, though we're starting to get a little bit tighter to maybe the 91, 92% in our, in our core strategy. Um, the main reason we don't want our thoughts on rates and where we think rates may be going to dictate all of our performance. Uh, but at the same time, if, you know, at the beginning of, of 2022, and actually earlier than that, we felt that rates were going to go higher and we were a little bit shorter duration, we're fine with that positioning, even if it costs us a little bit around that time, knowing that, you know, the, the path for rates going forward was higher, not knowing exactly how fast. Um, that's definitely helped out. But the security selection, looking at the underlying, you know, mortgages within our portfolio, looking at collateralized mortgage obligations instead of straight pass-throughs or TVAs, a way to mitigate that duration extension that we see in mortgages. 
um, owning more on the shorter end and shorter ABS. And that goes directly to our short duration strategy, um, focused in securitized, heavily weighted in ABS in what we were just talking about earlier, non-agency commercial mortgages uh, that, again, are giving us some pretty attractive yield without delving too deep um, into credit, you know, staying a little higher credit. Um, definitely for our core, our core, we're all investment grade. So it's adding value at the security level. Um, and, you know, not wanting to, you know, be rock stars in all environments, recognizing that in a 2019, when the market was running red hot, fueled by strong corporate performance, we did pretty well, but we didn't keep up with the benchmark. But we're okay with that because when you look at it over the longer term, which is what we focus on, we're able to deliver in a variety of different environments. And that includes what we've seen this year. So I think being a little bit more conservative has definitely worked well for us this year. Mm -hmm. But I would also argue that we're very well positioned uh, going into whatever next environment we may be in because we've got some pretty attractive yield, especially relative to the indices, relative to competitors, without you know delving into below investment grade with regards to core. Uh, and with short, it's differentiating with the focus and securitized and being able to deliver a very attractive yield that, you know, we felt some pain this year, even in a short duration strategy, but again, positioned for future performance uh, with some very attractive yield with very low duration uh, and pretty, pretty attractive credit quality at, you know, anywhere from triple B plus to A minus is where we'll, we'll kind of move between. Um, but you, without a doubt, it's challenging. But to be able to go to clients and say, hey, you know, this fixed income market is unprecedented. The performance has been incredibly challenging, but we've protected, you know, and we've protected as much as we can on the downside. And clients appreciate that because, again, that's what they hired us for. We're not going to hopefully surprise them in any way. Uh, and we're not going to deliver really bad news about, you know, rampant defaults in a portfolio because, you know, we don't. We don't think about it that way. We think about it more as this is your core uh, and it is meant to be the stabilizer in your in your portfolio. And maybe not this year, uh, at least total return wise, uh, but from an absolute standpoint uh, or from a relative standpoint, I'm sorry. But and then with short, it's you know delivering a differentiated product that, again, this year performance isn't great relative. It is. And again, it's it's positioned for we think some pretty strong performance going forward. Well, great, Doug. Thank you. It's a pleasure having you on as always. And uh, hopefully if that light does come through the tunnel, I look forward to speaking to you then as well, but I'm sure we'll have some other conversations before then. So again, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.